Homestyle Green, episode 153. Simple is the new smart. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast dedicated to inspiring people to make a better place to live. This week on the show, I have Paul Dorset and Kelsey Saunders from a great company with a great name, which is sustainable.to. I love that name. And it's partly why I reached out to Paul for an interview. And uh, they are all about affordable, healthy, and energy efficient homes. And if that doesn't strike a chord with you listening to this podcast, I don't know what will, because that's what we are all about. That's what I'm all about. And that's my vision for things that I would like to achieve is uh, producing more of those affordable, healthy, and energy-efficient homes. And uh, before we get into that, somebody else who can help you if that is your vision, or even if that's not your vision, they can still help you if you want to build a good quality home, and that is, of course, Proclimber, wonderful sponsors of this show. If you're at all interested in building a house that's going to look after you and the people inside that home, you need it to be airtight, and you need it to deal with moisture in a... Um, a good way. And one of the ways you need to do that is to have a good wrap uh, around the building. And a, a the wrap is a, a fundamental part of the, the building envelope. It can be hard to get right, but if you use ProClimber and more importantly, use the skills and expertise of their team, you've got a much better chance of getting that right during the design and then also critically during the build process. So check them out, proclimber.co.nz here in New Zealand or proclimate.com worldwide, and uh, if you're in Australia, proclimate.com.au. Now, let's get stuck in to this week's interview. I do apologize a little bit for the sound quality. Uh, it was a little bit of echoey over in um, where they were recording, unfortunately, but I just, the, the content of the, the things that Paul and, and Kelsey are talking about here are just so valuable. I still am really keen to bring this to you. So, have a listen. I started out by asking Paul why he does what he does. Well, um, not not only you know providing uh, housing that's affordable, healthy, and energy efficient to people, which I think is the right thing to do. Um, mostly, what my job is Monday to Friday, nine to five, as I'm 54 years old, and most of the other people in the office here are 32 years and younger. Uh, so I do a lot of mentoring as well. Right. So. Not, not to say, not to say that the kids in this office are as disadvantaged as the kids I teach the snowboard and the sail. Um, but in learning architecture and learning the practice of architecture, they are disadvantaged. They're young. They're inexperienced. They're less experienced. And therefore, I do a lot of that kind of mentorship here in the office and watching the development of this very special group of kids that I have the privilege of working with. Watching that development is equally rewarding. So I'd say I'd say there's a there's a big crossover from my volunteer life to my working life right there. And again, then for our clients, you know, when they come to us with a with a challenge, you know, they they've only got so many so many dollars to spend and they have these very lofty ideals of what they want to achieve. And they've been told by two, three, four, five other architects that they've approached that these two things are mutually exclusive. They either need way more budget or they have to give up on sustainability. And then they come to us and we say, well, that's absolutely nonsense. Of course you can have what you want for that amount of money. And delivering that kind of satisfaction 
is important as well. Yeah. I want to um, go into a little bit how you achieve that. But before we do, I should ask uh, Kelsey, what, what do you do outside of your uh, role as the, the scientist there? What, what do you like doing outside of work? Um, well, I'm from, uh, I'm from up north in Muskoka, so um, I've always been uh, really outdoorsy, um, kind of adventurous, uh, really aren't, into aren't sports. All, aren't all Canadians like that? <laughs> no. Well, well, a lot of Canadians are definitely like that. That's the stigma that we have um, attached to us, and it's something that, that I think makes us proud to be Canadian in that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so definitely just, um, you know, experiencing the outdoors, being outside, um, being active, uh, that kind of thing. Um, I'm also doing my master's of building science. So I'm at school, um, as well, finishing that. Yep. Um, what, what was it that attracted you to that, uh, that line of, of, uh, work, the, the building science um, training? Uh, well, I did my undergrad in architecture, and I knew as soon as I went into architecture that I wanted to do residential, so I wanted to work with homes because um, it's just so much more personal to people. Uh, and then I was just always interested in sustainability. Those were my favorite courses that I was taking. Building science were my favorite courses. Um, and I think it's because, uh, to my very core, I've always felt it's very important um, to be kind of changing the way we think and the way we do things to improve on how we're building and improve energy efficiency and um, and just basically building better buildings so we have lots of an impact on our environment. So kind of all of those things, plus speaking with um, my professors at the time, just kind of drove me into building science direction. So why is science important for pursuing sustainability? Uh, well, I mean, it's for us at our firm, um, kind of the way that we build is using the principles of science to build better buildings. So um just create creating uh, buildings that are uh, can breathe and be healthy. So using the right materials, um, putting the right materials together so that you don't have issues with uh, moisture and rot and mold and other things that come uh, from poorly constructed buildings. Uh, so I think the science is is uh, necessary to have as a background um, in building better better buildings. But isn't and, that and just, also, isn't that just good architecture? I, I think I think so exactly. <laughs> I'm just going to jump in here. Um, the what how architecture is practiced in Canada is that generally the architects um, do all the pretty work and leave it up to the engineers to do the technical work. Mm -hmm. And most architect most architects don't understand the technical side of things. So they're very much beholden to what the engineers tell them. And as, as architects who like to control everything ourselves, I very much wanted to start a firm where we were not as beholden on engineers, where we actually have the scientists in-house with us. Because all of us who work here, we're, we're quite sciencey nerds anyway. Yep. Um, we, we all have a big love of the science side. Of, you know, uh, architecture is 
is a is a weird combination of both art and science. Um, a lot of architects that we know of uh, tend too strongly, in our opinion, to the art side and ignore the science side because that's the hard, complicated stuff. And we fully embrace the science side as well. So we want to we want to know ourselves in the early part of the design. We want the science to help drive the design. And that's not to say that there's no aesthetics involved. There are a lot of aesthetics involved, and that's why we're very happy to have a building scientist like Kelsey, who does have an architectural undergrad in her background, because Kelsey is as concerned with the aesthetics as the rest of us are, as yeah. well as being able to back it up with hard science. And we often find, so long as we get the science driving the project appropriately in the beginning, we can have that drive and improve the aesthetics. And then the aesthetics are also helping the science to work. As opposed to what we see happen in other firms is they get all the aesthetics done and they get all the program figured out and they get the design all done and then they hand it off to the engineers to add some science to it. And the science then doesn't inform the design process. The, the science really just tells them, yeah, you're meeting your absolute minimum standards or you're not yeah. meeting your minimum standards, so you better do this and this and this. And suddenly at the very last minute, even the aesthetics are compromised. Yeah. And it often becomes more complicated when doing it that way as well. Yeah. Now, speaking of complications, simple is something that you are really into. And, Paul, you've been quoted as, as saying simple is the new smart. Yep. What is that all about? Uh, and, and and also the concept of, of dumb is the new smart. It, are you trying to dumb down buildings? Same, same thing, really. Um, yeah, I, I initially, initially in reaction to, and I don't, and I only imagine that it's happening in New Zealand as well. Um, this smart house movement, where technology and gizmos can solve all of your problems and make up for, frankly, really poor design, and. My reaction to that was initially dumb is the new smart. Um, and then one of my colleagues said to me, people don't like being called dumb. <laughs> Call it simple is the new smart. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, fine, I'll soften that a little bit. I'll soften my tirade. Um, but really, we've, you know, like you guys, you guys have Nest Thermostats as sort of a brand name. It's now owned by Google. Do you know what they're about? Uh, I know Nest, um, okay. but no, it's it's interesting actually. I was doing a, a seminar yesterday, talking to a group of people, and one of the inherent problems that we have in this country and Australia as well is that you go and talk to people about say um, the what healthy internal temperatures should be, and you say it's about eighteen twenty degrees. Our problem is that we no one here knows what eighteen or twenty degrees feels like because we don't have central heating systems. Uh, which means we don't have thermostats, and typically people don't really have thermometers either. So there's there's kind of a lack of understanding of of um, what twenty degrees actually feels like here, uh, and we're a little because we don't have central heating systems generally. There's not as big a market for things like uh, the uh, Nest, but certainly the conversation about smart homes, home automation. Um, gadgets or, or um, uh, everything have its own IP address. That's definitely happening. Yeah. Well, and and I'm not so much picking on like, all of the all of the smart gadgets, but 
um, especially upon the upon the smart thermostats. I like to start there because, uh, as you can imagine, we definitely do have central heating here. And the further the further south you move in North America, it really becomes a central cooling system. And but nonetheless, um, the whole idea of these nest type thermostats is that they learn and they modify to maintain that 18 to 20 degrees um, at all times, regardless of what is happening, regardless of whether somebody leaves a window open in the dead of winter or whatever. You know, this thing just this thing is just smart. It needs to learn all that stuff. Whereas our take is that if a building is designed properly in the first place with the optimal envelope on the building, there is absolutely no need almost to, to pass up those standards. Um, there's no need for a smart thermostat because nothing ever changes. That smart thermostat that's trying to learn things would be bored stupid because there's <laughs> nothing for it to learn. Yeah. So when the house is designed properly, you don't need all that. Right. So and now, you, by the same token, we you sorry, put the smart. The you put token, the smart. Sorry, you go ahead. Yeah, we we put the smart in the design up front rather yeah. than the gadgets at the tail end. But of course, we do have a number of existing houses in this country that were poorly designed and do leak a lot of air and all sorts of things. And actually, those houses, there is a place for those smart gadgets. Right. So as a retrofit option. As a retrofit option, there actually is a place. But that's not where they're being marketed. They're being marketed at new homes. And, and I just think that's just allowing people to continue designing and building homes poorly. Yeah. And, they're, and they're being marketed as a green home tool as well yeah. to be put into efficient homes. Yeah, yeah. The other term that you mentioned on your uh, website, the front page, is pragmatic sustainability. What's that all about? <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to let Kelsey take a stab at that one. See, see how close Kelsey oh, gets I, to it. I can't take that question. Oh, I don't even know where all to go. Right, I will. <laughs> uh, again, that really follows on the um, putting the smarts where the smarts should be. Um, putting the putting things into into simple envelope kind of solutions. The, the unsexy stuff that goes up front. Um, Optimize the insulation, and that's where we use the building science because we can look at, you know, okay, you know, what what thermal efficiency are we getting for the first inch of insulation? You know, what are we getting for the next, and so on and so on. And where's the break point? Like in with this particular type of insulation in this place in the wall, is four and a half inches the break point? Like if we add if we add another half inch, we're actually not getting because every inch costs the same amount. Um, we're not getting a return on that investment. There's no, there's no, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's, there, there's the, 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 the return, there's diminishing returns as you, yeah. as you go along. And we've actually been recently with some of the projects we've been working on um, that we've modeled. So we've done energy models of, of a couple of homes uh, and actually tested, you know, what are the savings by adding an extra inch and by adding three inches and four inches. And then actually working alongside with the contractor to cost that out. What would be the extra expense for one inch, three inches, four inches? Um, and so we've been able to actually show the client, you know, this is maybe your best option for your budget and um, for your home specifically. Yeah, this this gets you the, the optimal upfront cost as well as the optimal energy savings over the lifespan span of the building. Yep. So... You know, what's interesting is that we find here that uh, 
that about 30% of the lifetime cost of a building is the design and construction. And 70% of the lifetime cost of the building is its operation and maintenance. And then when we start talking to people about spending a little bit more on the upfront cost, on the design and construction, to make something more sustainable, then they start, they say, well, you know, my construction cost is going to increase by 10%, just to pick a number. It's almost never that high, but let's just pick a nice round number. And we say, yeah. So in the overall life of the building, we're asking you to allocate 3% of the overall cost of the building. 10% of the 30 is 3%. So we're asking you to take 3% and add it to the add it to that uh, to that 30. And but the savings over the life of the building, the savings in the operation and maintenance cost can be up to half of the operations and maintenance cost. So we're asking you to spend 3% more up front to save 35% over the life of the building. It sounds like kind of a no-brainer when you put it that way. Yeah, but I it's guess not, people are saying, what does that 3% translates to an extra five or $10,000 up front? Right now, right now, that I have to take out of my pocket right now. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, a, that's sometimes a very hard, hard block to get over. Yeah. How do you do that? Um, well, we really have to leave it up to the, up to the client. We don't always get over it. Um, we, we explain it as best we can and we show them the math and some, some get it right away and they see the value. Um, we even show people, you know, on their mortgage, like if you, if you spend a little bit more upfront on the construction, okay, your mortgage cost is going to go up a little bit every month. But if your energy savings are greater than your additional mortgage costs, you come out ahead. Mm. So we try and show them in a number of different ways and find out find out which one of those monetary um, monetary things sticks. And then when all else fails, we turn away from him and we turn to her and we start talking about health. <laughs> the person who really makes the decisions. Precisely, because when we start talking about the health of her children, you. We, you know, it really doesn't matter what old money bags on the other side of the table thinks. Yeah. Now, so coming back to that situation where someone comes to you and say, fairly typically, you've got a limited budget, um, but we want to have an awesome, healthy, sustainable, energy-efficient home that we feel good in, we want to uh, feel proud of. Um, yeah. They've been told that's an impossibility. How do you reconcile that? How do you ha let people have their cake and eat it? Well, well, now we're able to show a number of projects um, that achieve all of that. So it's really good that we now have built projects that can demonstrate this and are documented. Probably the, the best example is our Willowdale Passive Solar Hall. Um, we were actually the fourth architects that those clients came to. And really? he, said that he, said, he said he wanted um, the most cost-effective and energy-efficient house he could get. And he did not want to pay more cost per square foot than what other houses in this neighborhood were being built for. And the other houses in the neighborhood that are being built are garbage. Um, and, uh, and she said that she wanted the healthiest possible home for her family to live in. And they were told by three 
reputable architects before us that energy efficiency and healthy were mutually exclusive. Pick one. Wow. And they told and they told me this, and they told me they even told me these architects' names, and you like you had to pick me up off the floor. I could not believe that these architects would say such a thing. And I applauded these clients for persevering and not yeah. believing that that was that those two things were mutually. Exclusive. Yeah, because I was gonna say a lot of people would have given up after the third third attempt and yeah. just said, "Oh well." I guess it's true, right? Or you know, architects don't know how to do things, <laughs> one or the other. Um, but um, but you know, you sound as incredulous as I was at the time. And when we when you know when the house was finally built, it was built at less cost per square foot than the other houses in the neighborhood. There was an 82% energy reduction from normal, you know, code building code built houses. And we were awarded the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation's um, Healthy Housing Award. So the house also did prove and did measure to be extremely healthy on indoor air quality. And so, and you know, so that's just one example of, the, of many examples we have that now when clients are wanting that, we can say, yeah, we did, we did that here, we did that here, we did that here, we did that here. So yeah, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can have them both. So what was the what was the price per square meter that they ended up uh, on that one? Um, yeah, we measure per square foot, but I guess it's about sorry, so, yeah, square foot. ten times, but it's fine. Um, with without the geothermal system, which he insisted on adding, although it wasn't necessary, because you could this house was so well insulated and so airtight, you could heat it with a toaster. Yeah. Um, and they also added. 10 kilowatts of photovoltaics to the roof. Again, not necessary to run the house, but we have a micro feed-in tariff system here in Ontario, yep. so that they're able they're able to sell that energy back to the grid. So you know they added that to that. So so discounting those two things, which we don't really consider to be part of the you know part of the construction of the house, um, it was $212 a square foot, I believe. Might have been 215, but right in that range. It's a substantial house. I mean, it's, it looks like a a, um, a beautiful home. It's quite a big home. How, how many bedrooms yeah. is it? Um, there are four bedrooms upstairs and an apartment in the basement. Um, it's a multi-generational home. Um, there's the parents and their kids live there as well as his parents live there as well. Wow. So it's not it's not a single family house. It's a multi generational house. And well. it's uh, so, it's so lead so gold per, per person. Yeah, per person, it's not that big. And yeah, and it and it and it missed lead platinum by three points at the at the very tail end of it. Um, completely unbeknownst to us, but uh, he and she were going through some marital problems at the very tail end. Um, so he stopped being interested interested in optimizing the house and when he went to buy appliances and faucets and things like that he did not buy the most the most water efficient appliances and faucets right and that's and that that cost um well more than three points so um if he had stayed the course and carried on the way he had started the project it, it would have been the platinum it missed yeah, by, right. by however 
that's the way life goes sometimes. Now, the other thing is you, you mentioned a few of your examples uh, on your website as, as passive solar design. We, we're talking about uh, passive solar in the design sense, but not, not passive house as the brand passive house. Is that correct? Correct. Um, only because we have, we actually have very few clients who want to go through the time, trouble, and expense of pursuing lead certification um, yeah. or the time, trouble, and expense of pursuing passive house certification. So we can't say that any of our houses are capital P, capital H, passive house because that implies that they're certified and they're not. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. they very much follow the principles. Um, we're also we're also not quite so dogmatic to any one system. We like to cherry pick from all the different standards and systems to optimize what is best for this particular house, site, and client. Yeah. So we'll we'll pull from lead. We'll pull the good ideas from lead. We'll pull the good ideas from passive house. We'll pull the good ideas from living building challenge and come up with an amalgam that probably wouldn't get certified in any one of them. Yep. But it's, it, is, it is the best solution for, for this particular problem set, which involves the site, the house, and the client. Yeah. Now, we're going to finish up soon. Before we do, um, Kelsey, I want to talk to you uh, about science, because uh, one of the things that attracted, well, two things that attracted me about your, your firm, one is the name, I, I saw sustainable. <laughs> I just had to have these guys on the show. Secondly, that you have oh, a, a building scientist on staff uh, as as a key part of your team. You mentioned we actually the, um, sorry. sorry we actually just recently hired another as well. So our, oh, awesome. our uh, team is growing. Right. <laughs> it's we, exciting. We have, we have twice as many. Yeah, you've doubled the science yeah. department. Now yeah, you mentioned. Sorry. You mentioned your work on, on figuring out return on investment and, and when the, the the sort of inflection point of diminishing returns of adding more and more insulation. From yeah. a science point of view, where have you found the best bang for buck or the best return from um, the a design point of view of what people can incorporate into their uh, home design? So where we've kind of come to a comfortable place right now, and we're in the very early stages of doing this type of analysis, um, so we still have, have a long way to go, because um, mm -hmm. our, our ideal right now would be six inches of exterior insulation. We generally use mineral wool, so rigid mineral wool. Yep. Um, but uh, right now, where we've come financially is at about three inches right. of exterior Roxel insulation because even right now for our contractors doing the three inches of exterior Roxel is kind of new for them as well. Right. So I think the more and more uptake that we get from them and the more costing information we can get from them. Um, I mean, here in the office on the modeling side, we, we know exactly how to do it and what to do, but from the costing side, that's something we have to rely on other people for. Um, so yeah, we're, we're at about three inches of exterior Roxel and then we do um, like a two by six wall with uh, with five and a half inch bat in, right. inside the cavity. Um, but yeah, three inches and then our ideal scenario would be six inches and then remove the vapor retarder um, on the interior of the assembly. And this and this is like the like the pragmatic sustainability you asked about. We're, yeah. we're designing houses that are very familiar to contractors to build. We're not asking them to do anything extraordinary. 
Yep. We're just asking them to do what they already do, but do it in a better way. Yeah. Put all, put all the same pieces together in a better way. Yeah. So that's your insulation. What are, what are a couple other things that you typically uh, run through your model to, to optimize? Uh, we do um, glazing area. So um, in Toronto, we're kind of limited. A lot of our projects are within the GTA or the, the, within the Toronto area. Um, so we're limited in terms of orientation, um, but we still will model um, increasing and decreasing the glazing surface area on uh, different facades. Uh, so again, you're looking at that that the window placement and sizing from a science point of view, just as much as you are from aesthetic point of view. So exactly. you end up with a big glass box. Yeah. So that obviously varies for every project because some face east west and some face north south. So yeah. sometimes we get a lucky project that faces south, and we can do some passive solar stuff with that. Um, yeah. But each site is unique, so we we can still play with. Um, even the building form to create better solar um, solar gains, depending on where we are. Yeah. When what about you mentioned uh, briefly uh, losing the vapor retarder? Um, do you yeah. model uh, moisture and and um, humidity inside as well? Uh, so within the energy model, no, um, but we do use a software that models um, the wall assembly itself. So I've done uh, modeling of several different uh, types of wall and roof assemblies uh, right. that we that we've been working uh, to kind of improve. And we're we're really focused on um, removing the vapor retarder completely from the interior of the wall assembly. Uh, because it's caused so many health issues in the past and, and so many issues with um, building envelope failures. So we're trying to eliminate that right now in Ontario. Um, our building code uh, requires a vapor retarder, but we have been able to, um, through modeling and through writing a letter to the city, we have been able to pass a few of our projects um, without the use of a vapor retarder. So that's been... Um, good for us and I think good for the, the homeowner and um, so we're, we're still working on that project to completely eliminate them from all of our assemblies. As the problem there that you mentioned with the health, is that because it's getting, uh, it's allowing mold to grow on the inside? Uh, yeah, so what happens, um, because our climate is, is, we're heating dominated but we also have cooling, Yeah. Uh, so in, in the cooling season, um, we get the, the vapor retarder is cold and you have warm air coming from outside and you get some condensation that occurs on the vapor retarder. And that can, if the wall isn't designed properly, it can um, cool and cause issues. So you get mold sometimes on the interior of your drywall. Um, so it can cause it and, and you get rot in the wood and the wood frame. Yeah. So it can cause some, some significant issues. If not built properly, especially when it used in conjunction with foam, uh, like exterior foam products, that can, right. that can be an issue. So Yeah, because those things couple together to make a vapor sandwich. So yeah. the, what, what, what vapor moisture is gets into the wall, and moisture always will get into the wall, it has no ability to dry out then. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that, that's, that's the difficulty. And as Kelsey was saying, with the, in our cooling season, our interior vapor barrier is on exactly the wrong side of the insulation for almost half the year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so our ideal scenario is a wall that breathes to both sides at right. all times. So yeah. 
that's what we're working towards. Um, at risk of um, cutting off a very important topic short, I'm aware of time. Um, it's a whole can of worms, that whole vapor uh, retarder, vapor barrier, the complexity of walls. Um, what my sense is to try and wrap that up is that you're applying back to your simple as the new smart approach and saying we could make this work by having a really complicated wall, but instead we're just going to make it simple and bump up the insulation and then therefore avoid the need. Is that kind of a, a good summary? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's it, exactly. We try and put all the control layers together at the, at the plane of the sheathing so that we do have the weather control, the air barrier, the vapor retarder, everything happens in that same plane. Yep. And we don't need to have that, we don't need to have that displaced vapor retarder on the inside of the insulation. Yeah. Right. So you're keeping everything else warm on the inside. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and protected from puncturing by the, by the subsequent trades, by the electrician, by the plumber, because they love nothing more than puncturing that vapor retarder. <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. Cool. Hey, well, thank you very much, uh, both of you, for your time. Really appreciate it. And I, I also have to mention your website because um, I, I love the the layout of it. Really easy to navigate. Um, very uh, aesthetically pleasing as well. And particularly, you've got a whole bunch of strategies on there, and it's probably the best strategies page uh, of an architect's site that I've seen because it's full of pictures and it's probably they're probably pictures that my eight-year-old kids would understand so I, I encourage people to go and have a look at that because it's um, unlike most strategies or philosophies pages which are full of full of words this one's got lots of great diagrams <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. heaps of and information Matthew, on there. Matthew I'm going to ask you to do a favor then to Nicholas in our office um, yeah. Send an email to send an email to Nicholas at sustainable.to and recap everything that you just said about the website and the strategies page because that is all Nicholas's baby. Perfect. He worked very hard. He worked very hard, <laughs> and he's very, he's very proud. Of it. I love he it. So love people it. should people should also <laughs> check out. Uh, very easy to remember as well. Sustainable.to and uh, navigate around there. Is that the best place to uh, to find you guys and to get in touch if people want to find out more? Absolutely. That's why that's why our company name and our website are the same. We thought, why complicate this for people? Nice. Let's just make nice. it easy. Oh, awesome. Hey, well, thank you very much, both of you. Really appreciate uh, your time, and I'll uh, look forward to keeping in touch and seeing more of your great examples appearing around the place. Great, thank you, great. Matthew. Thank you, Matthew. Paul Dorset there and Kelsey Saunders from Sustainable.to. I just love that domain, Sustainable.to. Check them out. And you can see what they do, how they do it, and have a look at their portfolio of some of their examples of the uh, the houses that they've designed. Their mission, uh, producing affordable, healthy, and energy-efficient homes, is what this podcast is all about. So I hope you found some little nuggets of uh, useful information in there. And if that's something that you would like help with in your design and your future home, then get in touch with them, certainly if you're near where they operate. Uh, but if you're down this part of the world, down around Australia, New Zealand, then get in touch with uh, myself and I, if I can't help you, I'll certainly point you in the right direction to find someone who can. Best way to contact me is matthew at homestylegreen.com or you can uh, fill out a form on the website. I'm also Twitter, Facebook, um, 
and on LinkedIn as well. So lots of places you can reach out. Love to hear about your project and any problems or ideas that you've got for making a better place to live for you and your family. Thank you very much for tuning in. Got more lined up in the coming weeks, so I look forward to uh, bringing you lots more great episodes on the Homestyle Green Podcast. Thanks very much. Bye for now.